even though you're on the other side of the planet in a part of the world that's very different from where I am, never mind the temperature, uh, I think we have a lot of things in common. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and this is another episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. Actually, an in-between episodes episode where I'm going to share a question and answer session that I did at the very first Coworking Unconference Asia that just took place in Bali. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast where my guests and I explore various aspects of coworking, collaboration, and community building. And the reason I do it is to try and show you, using real-world experiences, how to better connect the dots, solve problems, and have a better understanding of the communities that we're all involved in. And I try to do that by having and sharing conversations with people that have a broad range of community-building expertise, ranging from community management and co-working spaces to building massive online learning communities. I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing this episode. It's pretty self-explanatory. But what I will encourage you to do is go check out the show notes and look at some of the photos of the group that I got to watch ask questions and the place that they are. It's truly beautiful and truly amazing. Most importantly, it was the quality of the questions that were asked that really gave me the fuel to share what I hope are going to be some really useful answers to those of you who are listening to this. Last, but certainly not least, I want to thank the conference organizer, Steve Monroe from Hubud, who agreed to help organize all of the technology, coordinate streaming me to literally the other side of the planet to be able to share with this group of people who I'm so excited to be able to have helped. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you to all the conference organizers and attendees. Uh, it's you who I owe this recording to. And so everybody else, please thank them as well. Uh, that's enough. I'm going to let you just get right into the Q&A. Enjoy. Oh, man, I wish I was there with you. This is more like me having breakfast with you. I'm think, Please think warm thoughts for me. We, we had snow this afternoon in Philadelphia. I wish I was there with you. So this morning, you know, I, I want, I, believe me, I wanted to be there. Uh, and as Steve said, uh, shoulder injury just sort of slowed things down. But I thought that it would be really nice for maybe us to spend a little bit of time this morning being able to set up your day, you've got an on-conference ahead of you, where it's an opportunity for you to share with each other, ask questions from each other. Uh, but one of the things that Steve told me is sort of missing from the, the community in your part of the world is people that have been at it for really more than a couple of years. So what I thought would be a lot of fun would really be to make this more of a conversation. And I want to be here to answer your questions. Uh, this is not a lecture. I'm not here to talk at you or even really tell you my story unless there's a particular part of it you'd like to hear. I want to know what you guys care about. I want to know what you're working on. And I want to know what you're, what you're challenged by and what you're thinking through because even though you're on the other side of the planet in a part of the world that's very different from where I am, never mind the temperature, uh, I think we have a lot of things in common. And I hope that the experiences that I've had over the years of, of working on Indie Hall and growing Indie Hall from a very small thing in a city that people did not think of as a creative hub in a world that had never heard of co-working, which should sound familiar for some of you, into something that is known around the world and is more importantly to me that it's known throughout our city, uh, and it's a place that makes our city better. And I, from what I can tell, from what I've seen, all of you representing from all over, uh, all over Asia and all over the world where you've come from, 
uh, you're representing a place that you're proud of and trying to make that place better, and you should be really proud of that. So uh, before I even go any further, right now I'm not actually able to see anything on your side. Steve, is that something that we can... Uh, is there a way for me to see the audience? You, you can't see me right now because it looks like I've got my... It looks like I've got my screen up. Hmm, I can hear you great. There's really beautiful people here. You do want to see them. So I, I really do want to see them. Is there a way we can fix this? Yeah, we'll we'll work on that. How about that? While oh, hey, I can see you guys. There you go. Oh, my <laughs> God. Hey. That's why I keep Peter Wall around. Uh, God, I want to be there so bad. <laughs> um, what a beautiful place you guys get to spend your time in. I'm so ridiculously jealous. So uh, today, the question is, is how, how can I help you? What can I, what can my experience, what can the things that I've learned do to help you uh, make the most of your unconference today? Um, maybe before we jump into questions, because you, maybe you guys, it's still early. You haven't maybe had all your caffeine yet. You don't know what your questions are. While you're warming up, maybe I open with a tip. Do you guys think that's a good idea? Like a tip for how to get the most out of an unconference? All right, so here's my tip. Um, so you guys have, have a, an unconference day ahead of you, which is my favorite day of any conference. This is your chance to uh, ask questions that maybe you didn't get fully answered by speakers. Or you know they said something, you're like, yeah, but I want to dig in a little bit more to that. Or you've got something that you want to share and you want to help other people in the community learn what you know. That's all awesome. Unconference is the place to do it. Here's the one thing that I'm going to challenge you to do to make your unconference day just a little bit better. So you're going to go and look at the unconference board, and, and I know Steve was describing there's some great topics up there. He gave me a little bit of a sneak preview of what some of them are. Really good stuff. You guys are going to have a killer day. Um, here's the thing. You're going to look at that board, and you're going to see certain topics that you gravitate towards, the things that you are always excited to talk about and you always want to share, the things that sort of you and your friends and your coworkers talk about every day. Go to some of those, but here's the one thing you can do differently. Look on the board for at least one thing that you've never had a conversation about. You don't know anything about it, and go to that. And even if it's just to go and listen and see what you learn, but I think you'll be surprised by how much you can contribute to a conversation like that. So use the unconference as a way to sort of push your boundaries and go learn something new. Go to something you don't know anything about and guarantee that you're going to learn something new. And maybe grab a friend, right? Say, hey, what are you going? What are you going to? You you should maybe we should go to something we both don't know something about. That can sort of take off the, the little bit of scariness that comes from going into something that's totally unknown. So that's my tip for the unconference day. It's the best day of the conference, hands down. Every conference I've ever been to, it's my favorite day of the conference, and I want you to have a great one. So try that out. Uh, do do we have questions? Do we have some people that want to throw some hands up and and ask some questions? I'll, this is Peter Alex. I'll, I'll cool. What's going on, Peter? Hey, how's it going? That's me. Great. How are I'm you? Steve, I'm Steve's co-founder at Ubud. Awesome. And my question for you is, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about since we started was that um, co-working is, is a great platform to build other things on top of um, in terms of uh, generating other sources of revenue, in terms of doing awesome projects that you can build with the community. In your experience, what are, what are some other really interesting um, additions to the co-working platform that you've seen that have been successful? 
This is such a good question, uh, and I'm hoping that I can I can explain it in a way that maybe helps shape the way you think about coworking. Because a lot of times we think about coworking uh, because our idea of work is tied to an, an office. And granted, given what I'm seeing in the frame here, your version of an office probably has a better view than mine does. But the reason that our version of coworking as a place to come together, get to know each other collaborate and get better work done looks like an office is because that's the kind of work that we do. It's a symptom of who we are. That's not a bad thing, but it's also sort of a blind spot. So one of my favorite stories about a, a very unexpected extension of Indie Hall that is something that is slowly building into something that I think will be very, very big for us moving forward uh, is in creating a farmer's market. Now, this is kind of unusual for a co-working space. You think of a co-working space as a place where people go, get work done, they sit down, whether it's with laptops or notebooks, whatever it is, and they're getting work done. So how could we possibly be connected into a farmer's market? So our story started where uh, actually a couple of our members noticed in our neighborhood that there was just no place to get fresh produce. That's just like a, a real, it's an urban problem for us. And they said, well, you know, we're not really in a position to create a grocery store but what if we created a little, you know, once a week farmer's market in a place where there isn't one? I think people would really like that. And so they came to me and said, can we start a farmer's market? And I said, I have no idea. I've never done that before. But uh, I think it, it's something that people would like. Sure, how would you do it? And they said, well, we're going to go reach out to the farmers. And I'll explain why that's important in a second. That's the right place to start. And they say, why not reach to farmers and said, would you come to our small, independently run, nobody's ever heard of us farmers market? And uh, we got four farmers to say yes, which was nothing short of a miracle, honestly, in my opinion. But I was very excited that that was the news that I got back. Things built and built and built. And over the course of six weeks, in a very short six weeks, we went from a conversation with two women that I worked with to having a farmer's market open just down the street from our co-working space. And what's really cool about it was two things. One is it brought the neighborhood together, which is something that I think a lot of us uh, hopefully aspire to be a catalyst in our neighborhood. Wherever our co-working space is, we want that neighborhood to be more vibrant, uh, better in all kinds of ways, and whatever is sort of missing, that's an opportunity to perhaps fill in. But something very unexpected happened. And we saw the vendors at the farmer's market start to connect with each other and start to share stories and ideas and help each other with new marketing ideas or open doors for each other into new collaborations, wholesale deals and things like that. And I actually I was fortunate enough to get a little bit of a sneak peek into the back door of how this actually worked because my girlfriend was spending her first year as a food entrepreneur in Philadelphia and was able to launch at our farmer's market. So I got to hear from her what it was like to be a food entrepreneur in our market. And what I was hearing was that although there are places where food entrepreneurs see each other in Philadelphia, there was no place where they were given an opportunity to connect with one another. It's really simple and very, very subtle, but I think a great example of how many times people put a ton of effort into creating a venue for transactions, for business to be done, 
Farmers market's a great example of that. That could be literally anything. And what happens when you take the emphasis and you shift it just slightly away from how much business can you possibly do today? How many apples can you sell? How many grapefruits can you sell? Into having a little bit of time to get to know the neighbor at the stall next to you. And those people were able to grow their businesses better. And that was sort of a light bulb moment for me in saying that the future of what we do at Indie Hall, and I believe the future of co-working, you ask co-working as a platform, what can it do? It's going to look less and less like offices, right? It's going to look more like the workplace of everybody else. So think about where the people in your world, in your neighborhood, in your city that do not work in the same industry as you. Where do they work? What's their natural workplace? Because I'll be honest with you, these farmers would not set foot in a place like Indy Hall. Even with an invitation, I don't think they would. They'd say, nah, that's for you tech people, right? They're not going to come in. But once they got to know each other, they got to realize that we created a culture that allowed them to get to know people and that that benefited their business. Then they started getting curious. They said, is this what that Indy Hall place is like? And they started asking more questions about well, is co-working something I can get involved in? And you'll notice that through all of this, we're never selling co-working for X. If you're selling co-working for X, you're already losing, right? Because nobody out there cares about co-working as much as we do in this room today. Nobody, especially not the people that we're trying to get to join. What they care about is their business, their success, and if you can find out what their success looks like, and help your success align with their success, whether they're farmers, whether they're restaurant owners, whether they're musicians, whether they're people that work in government, people that work in literally any kind of business, big corporations, small local businesses, it's all the same. Think about what those people's workplaces, and instead of setting the bar at, I need you to come into my collaborative workspace, because really, how many people are gonna come into your collaborative workspace? Not that many. Even when you're very successful, in the grand scheme of the millions of people that are in the city of Philadelphia, we have thousands of people that come through our doors every year. That's like a tiny fraction, right? And that scales to wherever you are in the world. Don't focus on getting them in the door. Focus on finding them where they are and creating the same kind of experience you create for your members in your co-working space and go, how can we take that and give it to people that are a little bit different? And the cool thing is, is a lot of the same models apply. So instead of renting stalls like a many farmers markets do, we created a membership model where it wasn't just about renting a stall or a tent, it was about building a connection to other vendors in your industry. And yeah, once a week or twice a month or four times a month, you could come and vend at the market, but that was secondary to what these people actually cared about. Right? That was a way for them to do their business, but the reason that they loved our market, not better, but they saw our market as something different from the big mainstream markets that we could not compete with in terms of marketing dollars and things like that was because it gave them access to something that they couldn't get anywhere else and that was each other. So look around you. Where do people have a hard time finding each other? Make it your job to make it easier for them to do that. Awesome. Who'd like to ask the question? They're all looking very shy and I know some of you have had a coffee already so there's no excuse. Okay. <laughs> Got a hand at the back. This is Brad from Hub Australia. I was going to wait for a little bit to ask this question because it probably brings it much more into a day to day. Um, keeping your staff from burning out. Um, I not many to quote you, but I know through a conversation with um, with Jan, uh, the the space host, uh, that generally we've seen that the amount of time that they stay in the roles about twelve months. 
and then move on. And yeah. you can say that's still your still 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 what you're saying. And any tips on how we can um, ensure that all of the people that work for us at our co-working spaces are, right. are really appreciating and getting the most out of out of working with us. That's a great question, Brad. I'm so glad that you asked it, and uh, it's something we've been thinking a whole lot about. Uh, if any of you have been listening to the Coworking Weekly show, we opened up with a few episodes with one of our, our team leads, who's Adam Tetteris, uh, who's someone who, man, I wish he was here to answer that question, because he's got some great answers from the perspective of someone who actually does the job. So, so the question about burnout is a really important one. And just to sort of put things in context, Think about the fact that anyone who's in a job, whatever you call it, whether it's a you know a space host or a community manager or a community catalyst or a tumbler or whatever you whatever term you're going to apply to it, they all really have the same core job, and it falls into two categories. There is operational things, right? There's sort of in to some degree like checklist stuff. There's uh, things that need to get done every day, and they could be as menial as ordering supplies, uh, refilling coffee, taking out the trash, uh, scheduling tours, giving tours, and things like that. And then there's the softer side of things. And I think this is the thing that draws many space hosts into a co-working space, is the desire to connect with people. I talk to people from all over the world every day that are working for co-working spaces, and they're in a unique position because they're not the founder, but they care about it so much, and I can't help but wonder why. And so if you've got someone like that in that's working for you, think hard about that. Like, they care about this, not the same as you, but a whole lot, and there's a reason for that. And what I've come to learn is that many times the good people believe that the more they put in, the more they're going to get out, which, to be fair, is true. But if you put in too much and you're not getting enough out, if it's imbalanced, they give and they give and they give with the hopes of getting more, and they don't quite get it, and that's where burnout comes from. So I think a lot of times people look at communities as, you know, running a community can be exhausting. It's very emotional. You're paying attention to people's feelings and movements all day long. That takes a ton of energy and a very special person to do it. So if you've got a person in your team that does that and they're good at it, hug them. <laughs> they are, they're amazing. But here's the thing. A good community supports its hosts as much as the hosts support the community. I'm going to say that again. If you are working, whether you, the person I'm talking to right now, or the people that work for you are in the role where you support the community and there is not an equal reciprocation of that community supporting you, you will burn out. The job you are doing is not sustainable. You will not be able to push through the little things of the day to get to the bigger goals. And I think the reason people that get into this job really do believe so much is because they see themselves as peers of the coworkers that they support. They're aspirational. They go, I want to learn how that person does what they do so I can be that good too. Right? I think that's really important. So how do we do this? So I've shifted my role with our team over time pretty dramatically. And one of the biggest shifts has been in making sure that my job is to help them achieve their goals. Right? So the trade-off, if you work for me, you work for Indie Hall, you've got some things to do, there's some punch list items, all those things I mentioned before. 
but your job is to look after Indie Hall and make it better. And in return, my promise to you is that Indie Hall is going to make you a better you, and it's my job to make sure that happens. So the folks that are in charge, it's your job to make sure that happens, which means you've got to sit down with your team members and find out what they care about. What are, what are their aspirations? What do they want to achieve? Do they have a project they want to launch? Do they want to start a business? Do they want to learn how to freelance? Do they want to learn how to design or code or sell or something? What do they want? And the more you know, the more you can help them achieve it in the same way that they help everyone achieve things around the co-working space all day long. So this is where things, where the co-working space starts to feed you. Burnout comes from an imbalance. So it's about rebalancing things. My job of making sure that that person is working towards things besides improving the co-working space and besides improving the members' experience, also working a little bit on themselves. Often really good people don't do that. They're so loyal that they'll spend all, they'll spend 10 hours a day, more than I'd ever asked them to, working on things that don't actually make them better. And I've had to force some of our team members to carve out a couple hours a day, or in some cases, a full day a week. And I say, your job is to get better at something. Pick a thing to get better at. That's your time. I'm defending it because you don't do it. And that changes the game for, for them. They feel protected, and they feel a little more ambitious, and they try things, and they grow, and they get to take advantage of the co-working space in the same way that all the members do, in addition to being a staff member and earning a salary and all of those things. But here's the last part that I think brings everything full circle, and I think is probably the most important, and that's making sure that the expectation with the members is that they're there to help too. Right, And so that can be anything from the little things like taking out the trash. You know, when one of our staff members, it's trash day, they post something into our chat room and say, hey, it's trash day at 530. Uh, could I get two or three people to help me carry out the trash? That seems really small and, like, not a big deal. But it starts to add up. If it comes down to who makes the coffee, this is perhaps my favorite example. Who makes the coffee in your co-working space? If you're the person who runs your co-working space, I want you to try this experiment. I want you to pick a thing that you do to help out members. Uh, making coffee is a good example. So how many times do you make coffee a day? And make a little mark on your notebook. How many times do you make coffee a day? That's an opportunity to say, hey, you know, I'm not the only one that can make coffee around here. If your space host's job has been reduced to office work, like filling coffee and giving tours, I don't think you're giving them enough opportunity to do the work that they're capable of. And that's the kind of thing that leads to burnout. So it's three parts, right? It's finding out why they even want to be there in the first place. And for some people, it's just a job. They're not going to last long anyway. Find out what they care about. Support them in that. Support them in achieving that, and even if it means defending time for them to work on that goal or helping make, helping them make connections. They make connections for people all day long. When's the last time somebody did it for them? Make sure that happens. And then make sure that the community knows that there's an opportunity for them to help your team members as well. And that starts to take down the tension of give and take. And it's something that, here's the truth, is depending on how large a community is and how long the culture has been one of being taken care of, this can be a hard habit to break. But the shift you want to make 
is from your team members doing things for your coworkers to your team members doing things with coworkers and have them go through their day, their to-do list, and say, how many of these things do I need to do by myself? There's a very good chance that there's a lot of things that they could simply say, hey, can someone give me a hand with this? And a coworker would happily say, you know what, I could use a break. I'd be happy to help. And that's the thing that starts to temper those edges of burnout. Great. Okay, who's up? Hi, Alex. Sajid from Hubtaka in Dhaka, Bangladesh. So can you share your tips on building communities? and you know, what you think we should not do. And actually, I would like to know things we should not do. Things you should not do when building communities. Very, very good way to frame the question. So one of my favorite examples of what not to do. A lot of community building is, is a lot like dating and courtship. It's relationship building, so could it really be that different? And so think about it this way. If you were to meet a guy or a girl or a person that you're interested in out and the first thing you said to them is hey why don't you come back to my place you know how, like in most places most people are going to be like uh, I kind of wanted to get to know you first right but think about how many of you approach co-working and your community building in your co-working you're going for the join my co-working space join my community the first step to community building is not getting people to join your community it's finding people where they are and going to them and spending time with them in places where they feel safe. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see co-working spaces make is all of your events, all of your programming, all of your activities happens in your space. Maybe not in your space, but maybe in other co the collaborative space, co-working spaces you collaborate with. That's like the date, inviting a date back to your house every time. Try and find, here's two, two ways you can combat the only way to participate is to, for people to come in the room. And actually, I'm going to back up before I give the tips. So for those of you that run events as part of your marketing program, and I know that's a big thing for Hubud. It's a big thing for a lot of co-working spaces. Events, events, events all day long, every day. Events are awesome. But the thing you've got to take a close look at is, are the events giving you the results that you want? And I know a lot of people produce events, and they even produce very good events that don't invite well, that don't, re don't result in people actually joining their community. And the reason for that is because the event doesn't invite the person to join the community. It invites them to come into the space. That's not enough. That'll never be enough. What you need to do is think about the kinds of events that you're doing and where you're doing them. So where you're doing them is an easy thing to change. You think, can think about all kinds of other venues that are in your neighborhood. Think about other businesses that you can support this way. I love going to local uh, you know, bars and restaurants, uh, other community spaces. Uh, we do things outdoors and parks, really anywhere we can gather. And it's actually been a big push for us at Indie Hall in the last 18 months to two years is realizing that we do have an amazing co-working space. And we can throw events here for free anytime we want. But just because we can doesn't mean we should. And just because we can doesn't mean it gets us the best results. And so we look at every event that we plan, whether it's our idea or members' ideas. Many of our members come to us with an idea and they say, I want to do an event at Indie Hall. I think it'll be great for building the community. And the first thing I ask is, why here? And their answer is often, because we, we can. And I said, is there another place that maybe the people that you want to invite to this event would like to go to? And that's an opportunity for collaboration. That's an opportunity for us to get outside of our comfort zone, which is so important. And it's an opportunity to start building community out there, because community is not going to start being built 
just in your space. Relationships are built, the trust is built best often where people feel comfortable and often that's not going to be on your home turf. The other thing that you can think about in terms of events for community building, if you are not ready to start shifting place and space, is take a look at the format of the event. I know a lot of people do lectures and uh, Q&As like this one. Um, this is a great example of what is not a great community building event, believe it or not. The unconference you're about to do, excellent community building event because it gets you guys connecting with each other. You are creating value for each other for the rest of today. What we're doing right now may be a good kickoff, but this is not the community building event that we're doing right now because this is me getting questions from you and giving you answers. Other than the people that are sitting next to each other, you guys aren't really interacting with each other. So take a look at the events that you're planning and make sure that the, the experience that people have is and includes them meeting one person, just one. This is not a networking event. You don't create networking events to build community. That's how you exchange the most business cards. A great community building event is one where everybody goes home and feels like they made one meaningful connection. It's just one. That's all it takes. If you can create that consistently for everybody in the room, like even half the people in the room, you've got a great community building event. So those are a couple of the tips that I've got for you for actually uh, uh, building community in events and experiences. Um, I mean, if we had all day, I could talk about things you can do inside the space in the daily workflow, but I know those are things that people are already doing and could be doing better, so I wanted to share those specific tips with you. Up here, here's Brody from SpaceCube in Perth. Hey, Brody. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, just a question on what we did a quick survey yesterday. You know, when you set up any new event, you could think about the exit, like how you yourself or... You know, what's the end game sort of look like? But we did a quick survey to the group yesterday, and no one had actually put thought into what the exit of a co-exercise themselves or for the base would be. Um, so have maybe some um, examples, if you could provide some examples of when, you know, how founders have exited successfully after success, um, you know, once the space has grown, or also, you know, for not-for-profits, how have they combined or worked with other organisations to take over management? So if you've got any if you're in this business to sell it, get out. I think he's trying to. <laughs> uh, so here's the deal. I, I, it's like how do you how do you sell a neighborhood, right? It, it, you, it's not yours to sell. I, so I have not seen a single example of an acquisition that I would have considered successful. Every acquisition I've seen has essentially been a, a takeover and a lot of turnover, and it may as well have, like, they took over operations, most of the membership left, they built up new membership. Is that really a successful acquisition? Maybe financially for somebody, but I don't even know of an example of that. So if you're in this business to create and sell a co-working space, you've already lost. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean that there's not opportunities for exit in this. I will, I will preface all of this by saying that I'm in this, and I'm not projecting what I believe on what you have to believe. I want Indy Hall to be around for 100 years or more. And that might make me weird. But the reason I say that is because when we created Indy Hall, the goal was to create something. It wasn't to create a co-working space. It was to create something that Philadelphia needed for as long as it needed it. And the truth is, is if a day came and if that day was tomorrow and we realized this is not needed anymore, I would shut it down. 
and truthfully, at that point, if we didn't need it anymore, we probably missed an opportunity along the way to start doing what we do well for a new group of people, for a different group of people, for additional groups of people. The farmer's market example I gave before is a really good one of us thinking about where we can do more without necessarily adding more square footage, right? A lot of people's value of their co-working space is tied to a lot of physical infrastructure and overhead, which makes it a really crappy sell. So you've got to do a ton of work to create something that is disproportionately more value to even be able to sell it, and at that point, why would you even bother you're going to drive it into the ground? However, we opened the Q&A today talking about co-working as a platform. Co-working as a way of understanding and learning how we work together. If you are doing that, if you're, well, if you're not doing that, start now. Start as soon as you get home. Start thinking about your co-working space as a laboratory for figuring out how does this group of people work together. They don't have to work together. Right? They don't work for the same company, but they do work together, and when they do, what's that about? Because there's companies out there, there's organizations out there that they do have a good reason to work together, and they don't. And if you figure it out, you can teach them something. So I think that there's opportunity to create exitable businesses. If that is your goal, it's not mine. I like building things to last. If your goal is to build exitable businesses, build it on the lessons that you learn in the lab. But that means you've actually got to have learned something. So go out there, do stuff, learn stuff, figure out what you actually know that nobody else does. Use that as an advantage to build something that is worth exiting because no one else could build it but you. We've got time for one more. Who's it going to be? We have Amrit from Hubba in Bangkok. Right on. Love. Bring it home. Uh, I see uh, the candor of the tweets that you had around startups and ecosystem building, and part of my talk yesterday was that the community building that you preach that I, I subscribe to is some somewhat overlapping with a lot of what we consider kind of build a startup communities in wherever you, you are. Yeah. There's a lot of things that don't actually go together, and, and hence it could be a sort of a separate practice. And I understand that you have a lot of... Uh, insights into that and how that reflects for a lot of co-working space operators that are trying to start a startup community within their space as well. Yeah. Could you share some of your insights in that? Sure. So uh, if you do follow me on Twitter or, or read my business partner Amy Hoy's blog, we may come across as anti-startup. Uh, and we're, we're not really, I'm not really anti-anything. Uh, I just get frustrated with things and I like pointing at them and go, is anybody else frustrated at this? So that's, if I'm, if you see me ranting in public, that's what it's really about. It's, I'm not actually upset, it's just that I hope somebody else is okay with being upset about it. I'm trying to sort of lead by example, if that makes any sense. So, uh, so my, my take on startups and co-working, right? We've, we've hit this really interesting inflection point in history where the rise of co-working, which you guys are a part of, whether you like it or not, uh, over the last eight years is something that, I, I mean, as someone who's been in this for eight years, I never imagined. If I go back to 2006 me, and I say, hey, you'd be on a Google Hangout call halfway around the world talking to 100 plus people about what you do because they think it's important and valuable and want to learn how to do it well, I would say, what the hell's Google Hangouts? And <laughs> what are you talking about? We're just goofing around building, you know, bringing our community together, never would have imagined in a million years that it would have had the impact that it has. 
simultaneously, the world has lost their freaking minds for startups. And I also understand why. Uh, it's a combination of economic climate. It's a combination of frustrations with people's employment situations, which have been decaying for the better part of 150 years. Uh, it's a combination of access to capital, access to information. All of these things that are a mix of new and growing over time. And so somewhere in the middle, co-working, boom, and startups, boom, collided. And I have no idea what happened, other than to blame the New York Times, <laughs> that co-working and startups became sort of one and the same. That the idea that if you work in a co-working space, you must be a, a startup person or running a startup, which is simply statistically untrue. Uh, and I think a major problem for co-working that it's, it's adapted to that uh, that profile. And on the flip side of that, there's a mindset in the startup world that co-working spaces are the places they should be going to seek out their out of the you know working out of our one bedroom apartment, sleeping out of sleeping bags thing. So it sounds like these things should help each other, right? You've got these collaborative, creative communities solving problems. You've got these people solving problems to build massive companies and save the world from itself, I guess. And the truth is that co-working spaces are a great resource for startups for a bunch of reasons that are probably obvious, but I'll list them anyway. They are affordable. They are flexible and require no long-term commitment. In the 2000s bubble, if you part of your millions of dollars of venture capital was to go sign a 10-year lease on an on a office that you had for 10 people and you were hoping to, to fill it. Today, I can sign up a membership for myself, my business partner, and then my intern, and then I can bring on people. It's flexible. I can grow in it. I have access to all the talent around me. I have all these people that have skills that I need for my business. Do you see a pattern in all of these things? They're all about what the startup needs. And the problem with a startup, by virtue of what it is, the stage of business that it is, this is not inherently a bad thing, it's just a fact, is that startups need more than they have to give. Right? They are there to take. And that's not a bad thing, but remember what I was talking about, the imbalance with your staff members and burnout. Startups are going to burn out your community, too, because they're there to take. And there are exceptions to this rule, of course. There are great startups. We've got a handful of great startups and teams that work remotely for startups that work out of Indie Hall. But man, do we have to do a lot of work not to screen them. That's not how we approach things, to educate them. To show them how doing things where you contributing not only makes things better for everyone around them, it's actually better for you too. And the people that do come around to it come around to it big time, and we love having them around. But there's a lot of people that are just in it for like, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And if you are allowing people who are part of the startup culture in your city, in your town, in your co-working space, do that to your co-working space, you are doing your other members a disservice. You are creating something unsustainable, and you are breaking. You're breaking the people around you. I, I found this really fascinating bit of research recently. I was working with a grad student, uh, and that 
she was uh, her stakeholder was a co-working space that was really focused on 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 startups, and they had a lot of things that a lot of startup co-working spaces have. They've got sort of like the open team area, but then they also have some like fishbowl offices and things like that. The problem that this co-working space has, well, layers of problems, and and I truly hope none of these sound familiar, but if they do, you'll know what I'm talking about. Problem number one is people don't actually talk to each other. If you choose to work in a community workspace and you come in and you don't talk to anybody, and that's like a singular person, a little bit of a problem. But if that is prevalent in your culture, big problem needs to be fixed early because you're setting a norm that is going to remove the opportunity that makes co-working valuable, which is for people to get to know each other that wouldn't otherwise get to know each other. But here's where things get really hairy. We started asking people who did choose to work in a community workspace as a startup why they did not spend time getting to know their other coworkers, even though they said they wanted to. And they said, well, what I've seen is people don't stick around very long because they're people who come to take what they need, and as soon as they're done needing it, they don't need a desk anymore, they don't need a freelancer anymore, they realize that they can't get capital or they've already gotten capital. What do they do? They move on. And yes, you can keep them on your portfolio of success stories. But are they really a success story? Did they leave anything? Did they add more than they took? Generally, the answer is no. So what's what I realized is that the turnover that comes from this group of people that are more likely to simply be there to take than to give sets a, a perception that it's not worth connecting with the people around me because they're not even going to be there next week. That's a vicious cycle. That's really scary to me. And when people think they look at co-working as, you know, it's flexible month to month, therefore it must be a high turnover business, that's absolutely not true. If you're looking at members that are canceling on average after six months, if across all of your memberships, if most, if your average is a six-month stay, at this point our average is like three and a half, almost four years, which means there's people that are less, but also people that have been here for much more. If you look at your co-working space as a high turnover business, if your community is largely populated by startups, I encourage you to take a good hard look at the correlation between those two things. I'm not saying that it's causal, but take a good hard look at those two things and ask yourself, those people may be exciting. They may seem like they have a lot of promise and a lot of potential, but are they going to give in any ratio of what you know they're going to take? And if that's the case, you've got a big problem on your hands. And I'd encourage you to look a little further. Okay, that was a great answer. I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for spending your Friday night with us. Thank you for having me. And I will see you in person next year for sure. Okay, thanks again and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 